Hello, welcome to this episode of The Complete Interpreter, a podcast about interpreting skills, mindset, and marketing from The Interpreting Coach. Some of you may know my real name, Sophie Llewellyn-Smith. This is a podcast in which I aim to bring you holistic CPD, continuing professional development ideas that take into account the fact that you are not just an interpreting machine or a translation machine, but that you are also the owner of an interpreting business. Today's topic then is being concise. The first question is, why are we interested in being concise? What's the point? I often have rhetorists telling me that their main objective now that they're trying to improve their rhetor, is to try to be more concise. So I've given some thought to why they might want to do that. And some of it is for the sake of the interpreter to make sure that the interpreter is doing the best possible job. Some of it is for the sake of the audience or the relay takers. First of all, from the interpreter's point of view, if the interpreter is able to express themselves in a more concise way, that gives them more time, more headspace to listen to what the speaker is saying. Therefore, they are more likely to be able to analyze the material better, to understand the ideas properly and to decide what needs editing, what can be left out and what is very important information. So, Analysis is number one, as it usually is with me, let's face it, I'm obsessed with analysis and everybody knows it. And if you are more concise in your expression in the target language, then you have a bit more time and a bit more headspace for analysis. You also have a bit more time for reformulation. Again, very important when you're working into a B and you're trying to think of the best way to say things, sometimes you need to give a little bit of thought to the grammar or the endings or the prepositions. So from an interpreter's point of view, there are definite advantages to being concise in the target language because it frees up some of your cognitive, your processing abilities to do the other tasks better. Then thinking about it from the point of view of the audience or the relay takers, if you are not concise, and in particular, if you stick to the syntax, for example, the word order, the structure of the source language, that can sound very unnatural in your target language. Of course, it depends on the language pair. But I'm thinking, for example, of someone who's working from Italian into English. Now, in my experience, Italian speakers give you long and sometimes complicated sentences, very wordy. If you reproduce that in English, it can sound very unnatural. You're more likely to have linguistic interference. And also, it's just harder to understand. It's harder for the audience to understand because their working memory has to keep more words and longer sentences um, near the surface so that they can sort of put the pieces of the sentence together to make sense of it. And it also means that the relay takers have to do more work with that sentence, especially if, for example, the interpreters put the subject a very long way from the verb. So being concise has multiple advantages. It can improve the interpreter's output, basically, 
in linguistic terms and also because they've carried out a better analysis of the material. And it can also make life easier, both for the audience and for the relay takers who get something a little bit more pre-digested that's easier for them to work with. What I thought I would do in this podcast is give you two little examples of simultaneous. I went to the speech repository. I randomly picked a speech in French. I didn't do any preparation. (laughs) And I then interpreted two versions of this speech. I'm going to embed them here so you can listen to them, not the full speech because it would be too long for you to listen to the same thing twice over and it's six and a half minutes long. So it's just a couple of minutes and two different versions. And afterwards, have a think about the differences between the two versions, if you can hear any differences. Um, If there's anything you think worked better or anything you think worked less well. Ladies and gentlemen, now that the end of the pandemic is almost here, we can go back to taking an interest in those subjects that were uh, fascinating for us before the beginning of the pandemic, namely climate change and the environment. And that was the challenge that we needed to take up before the beginning of this crisis. And it is therefore essential that we return to taking an interest in this subject. There is some good news connected to our interest in the environment, and I know we're all keen on hearing good news. For 2020, the share of renewables in energy production in Europe has now exceeded fossil fuels, and that is the case for the second year running because it was already that way in 2019. Now solar power is cheaper than anywhere else in the world and its production has increased by 20% in Europe. And finally, the price of carbon has increased exponentially. So much for the good news, but I know that you're not naive and I know that you are aware that we are a long way from having achieved any significant change or reached our environmental objectives. Today, I'm going to talk about an element which is a sign of hope for some, an element that will allow us to reach our objectives, and that is hydrogen. Now, before going into any more interesting details, let me just recap on a bit of chemistry. Hydrogen is a basic chemical element, H, which is present in the universe and on Earth. On Earth, it is present uh, principally in the form of water. Hydrogen is associated to the molecule O, oxygen, and together they form H2O, water. In order to produce hydrogen, you need to break the bond between hydrogen and oxygen. In order to do that, we use a process called electrolysis, where we use an electrical current in order to break the bond between the two molecules and obtain hydrogen. Now, you might ask me why we would want to produce hydrogen And the answer is because it has a number of applications. Hydrogen can be used as a fuel. It can also be stored and transported. Ladies and gentlemen, the end of the pandemic is in sight. So we can go back to those topics that gripped us before coronavirus, climate change and the environment. 
Those were the real challenges that we were facing before the crisis. And it's crucial that we return to taking an interest in these subjects. There is some good news when it comes to the environment, and I know that at the moment we're all keen to hear good news. In 2020, the share of renewable energies in electricity production in Europe was greater than the share of fossil fuels for the second year running. Solar power is cheaper in Europe than anywhere else in the world and its production increased by 20% in Europe. And the price of carbon has increased exponentially. That's the good news, but you're not naive. And I'm sure you're very aware that we are a long way from reaching our environmental goals and making any significant changes. Today, I'm talking about an element which could help us to reach these objectives. It could be very promising, and that is hydrogen. Before I go into details, let me recap some chemistry. Hydrogen is a basic chemical element represented by the letter H. It's present in the universe and on Earth. On Earth, it generally takes the form of water. It is associated with the molecule O, oxygen, and that makes water, H2O. In order to produce hydrogen, you have to break the chemical bond between the two molecules. You do that through electrolysis, which is where you use an electrical current to separate the two molecules and obtain hydrogen. Now you might say, why produce hydrogen? Because it has a number of applications. You can use hydrogen as a fuel, you can store it, you can transport it. Consider how you felt, what your perception was when you were listening to those two clips. Did one of them sound more rushed to you? Did one of them sound more wordy and less controlled to you? My perception is definitely that in the one where I was very literal and just basically tried to say everything, that version sounds a little bit more rushed and it sounds less like I'm controlling the material and more like the material is controlling me because I was being um, a parrot rather than carefully considering everything that I was going to say and knowing where I was going before I opened my mouth. So I am now going to put it to you that being concise isn't just about using fewer words, but it is largely about giving the appearance of being concise. <laughs> it's largely about perception, or, or perhaps it's wrong to say largely, it's a combination of the two things. A combination of using fewer words, eliminating the redundancies, but also using certain techniques that make you sound different and sound more concise, in my opinion. What are those techniques? Well, the biggest one, as far as I'm concerned, is using salami technique, chopping up the original sentences into shorter pieces. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're using fewer words. 
It could just mean that you are using exactly the same number of words, but in smaller chunks. And the advantage of that is that you can put pauses between ideas that can actually be some full stops instead of a great flow of words, which is what you had in one of the versions of my hydrogen speech. So I think salami technique is a really good way of being concise, or at least sounding concise. So it's not just about the number of words, it's also about the length of the chunks and the length of the sentences that you produce in the target language. Use salami technique, put logical connectors in between your short chunks. Another good way of being or sounding more concise is using subject-verb-object order in the languages that allow for that, obviously, and putting the subject at the beginning of the sentence, having the subject close to its verb. Because if you begin the sentence with all sorts of extraneous fluff, long adverbial phrases, or you have relative clauses, or there's a big gap between the subject and the verb, that first of all increases the effort for you because your working memory has to keep track of the subject and uh, if it's a long way from the verb this often causes problems with verb endings and, and basically grammar mistakes. It also increases the cognitive effort for your audience or for your relay takers because they have to hold all this stuff in their working memory to make sense of the ideas. So in order to be or sound more concise um, try SVO word order if your target language allows for it and try and keep the subject and the verb close to each other. Use active sentences where you can rather than passive. They tend to be shorter and again they tend to be more to the point. And finally, make use of intonation. I think this is a tool that is not used enough, especially by rhetorists to cut down on the number of words that they use. You can convey so much information with intonation. You can make it obvious with your voice whether something is a main point or a digression. You can make it obvious whether it's a question or a statement. You can, you can make it obvious whether something is sarcastic or sincere. There's so much that you can do and it's a shortcut. It means you don't have to use so many words. There you are. In this particular podcast, you will realize that I have been very repetitive because I have recapped a number of points several times. And I'm going to do that again. <laughs> so to sum up everything I've said, um, first of all, going back to my two versions of the hydrogen speech, I'd be interested to hear whether you preferred one to the other. I know people, I have colleagues who work very much in that more literal way where they try to say everything and their décalage is very short. Personally, for me, I, I found that a little bit rushed and more literal and more subject to linguistic interference. So I prefer the more concise version. It meant I had to work a little bit more to um, think about how I was going to express things. In my opinion, it promotes better analysis and it also means that you have some pauses and you chunk it up and use salami technique. So if you want to be more concise, which is particularly important when working in your B language, first of all, try to eliminate repetition and redundancy, get rid of hesitations and fillers, use 
shorter forms of words and phrases. So be mindful of your word choice and try not to hedge if the speaker is not hedging. Then on top of those techniques which really will reduce your word count, you can also give an impression of um, being cogent and concise by using salami technique, making sure that your short chunks are well linked with logical connectors, using active sentences with an SVO word order and your subject and verb close to each other where possible, and using intonation. And the advantage of all of that is that although you may not have cut many words, like me, you may only cut out 50 words over two and a half minutes, the impression, I think, on the audience and on your relay takers will be of something much clearer. So being concise goes hand in hand with clarity, clarity of expression and hopefully clarity of thinking. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. It's not something I've ever discussed in those terms with another interpreter. I, I just sat there and thought about this today and thought it's, it's a lot to do with perception and not actual word count. Conciseness is not just about the number of words. It's about the length of the chunks, how you connect them and how you shape them with your voice. So do get in touch at info at theinterpreting.com. What was that? <laughs> I'll try that again. Info at theinterpretingcoach.com. That is my email address. Let me know what you thought. And please also let me know what you would like me to talk about next. Is it an aspect of interpreting? Is it something about mindset? I would love to hear your thoughts. Take care.